digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. You tried. Yeah, you, you tried hard. That sounded like it, a- it's hard. It's hard to make cool noises with bottle caps. There's just you don't get the whoosh and the crack and the effervescence and the and the canny stuff. And what did you unbottle there? I just unbottled a Highland oatmeal porter. Oh, that's a good one. Oh yes, it is. Highland good and hearty. Good work. And it almost made a knife and fork to drink. <laughs> So let's introduce our other co-host, Mr. Will Thrill. Greetings and salutations. See, that was a good one. That, that was, was a really good one. It was okay. No, no, look, no, you, you, you did, you did okay. You did, you did good. <laughs> it was, no, look, no, hey, man, no, seriously, hmm. that was fine. <laughs> and I, I will refrain on telling you exactly what beer I'm consuming because it does play into today's topic. Yes, it does. Yes. I, I, I did a, a thing. I did a thing, and the thing will be on the Facebook. Um, but do you guys want to know what I'm drinking? Yes, we ah. do. <laughs> well, you are in luck, because I'm actually drinking a Tiesta tea. And I don't know about you guys, but you've probably figured out that at least two-thirds of this podcast are quote-unquote giggling hillbillies, which means that we know a couple things uh we probably know the home address of bowen luke duke and where the original uh general lee is kept uh we probably know at least six generations because they all lived in the same house and we know t is that right t my brother t no yes your brother whose name is also t which is a convenient tie-in when we're talking about yes tea. well well i know yes this show is in fact even though we uh, crack celebratory uh, adult beverages at the beginning. It is, in fact, actually powered by tea because sitting right next to my beer is, you can't hear it because there's no ice in it, but that's 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 tea. It's silent tea. The yeah. tea is silent. We all, we all drink tea. Like, I drink tea, you drink tea, Will drinks tea. It's, I, it, we, I am powered. My job every single day is powered by tea. And so mm-hmm. we, when the network emailed us and was like, guys, I have this thing for you. Would you like to try some tea? I'm like, yes, please sign me up. Mm-hmm. So they actually did sign me up and uh, they gave us Tiesta tea. So it is one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten in the mail, aside from my ant farm when I was like 14 and some stuff for my candles. This and is sea monkeys. Oh, <laughs> dude, I never got sea monkeys, but I did get Tiesta tea. And it is loose tea, and each bag that they gave us brews four to six cups, and they gave us this awesome pack of, like, four different kinds. So they had the blue, I had specifically the blueberry wild child. That was really good. Which is a hibiscus tea, and each of them are tagged with, like, eternity, bliss, relax, and they all have, like, a thing that they do. So that's the kind of tea. So they have... Uh, green tea, white tea, black tea, oolong tea, herbal tea. I mean, it's if you're any kind of a tea lover, you guys really need to try Tiesta tea. And it's all loose. And the, the packages that they sent us actually came with like the loose tea 
and then these cool little tea bags that you can seat them in and it tells you how long you're supposed to do it for. So uh, for as long as I think we have this, you guys can get 15% off your first order. Say so what? Say so what? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yes, yes. All you got to do is put in our coupon code at checkout, which is rockheaven15. That is rockheaven15 at Tiesta T, and that is spelled T-I-E-S-T-A-T-E-A. You guys give it a try. Honestly, um, I'm going to order another pack of this wild child blueberry tea because it is amazing. And that's all I have to do. That's that's me being a pitch man. So there you go. Woo! Uh, Rock hey, uh, 15. Do, do they have uh, any beer flavored tea? Uh, do They do not. At least not much. I just figured maybe we could combine the two things that we do. You know, your tea, tea beer. Oh, tea beer. That would be that would be awesome. It's so, coffee beer. So, um, getting back into like the 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 grim side of life, somebody had a birthday, and that was TJ two the dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you. All right. That uh, thank you for everyone that that sent him birthday messages for one of our fearless leaders, because he's he's good thing that you sent it on facebook because you know he's getting old and senile and now he can just look back at it and remember those times when he was young are they, are they calling it meta now isn't that what mark zuckerberg is saying this thing is whatever i don't yeah. care it's i don't care it's just for our family to post pictures of other people pretty much yeah also i started working on a new show and i feel like a lot of our audience might be caught into it but i'm working on a new rodeo show so if you're interested in auditioning and you can do tie down roping or saddle bronc riding, or if you're a barrel racer, please check out rodeocompetitioncasting.com and apply there. And uh, all you po- all you pole benders, give LD a call. Woot woot. So am I the only one who finds the, uh, the name of that particular uh, rodeo event to be uh, a little disconcerting? Pole bending? pole bending hey whatever gets you through the night right? hey yeah i mean yeah you're gonna you're gonna bend my pole <laughs> wow i was trying really hard not to edit this episode but it was like i'm gonna have but here we are oh well but then but that wasn't that what <laughs> it was a good one <laughs> it was, it was, we tried we tried so um in you keep me up late you ply me with booze and then you <laughs> And then you take issue with my with my commentary. You are wholly responsible. How how am I? I didn't give him the beer. I didn't give it to him. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Three thousand miles away, I did nothing of the sort. Yep. (laughs) All right. So let's uh let's actually get back to business now because we do have just uh two kind of uh really sad pieces of uh news in the music world, which was the death toll from Astro World has actually raised from eight to 10. Mm. Uh, a young woman uh, that I think was in a coma, which she was in a medically induced coma, um, did finally succumb to her injuries, as, as did the nine-year-old little boy, Ezra. Oh, goodness. Who, yeah, who I think what happened to him was his father actually passed out and he was trampled and they had him in a medically induced coma and then he finally passed and our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to every single person that was affected by what happened to astro world um 
it, it's a, a tragedy beyond measure. And then the other piece of news was that Chris Daughtry's 25 year old daughter, Hannah passed away. And in a report from TMZ, it looks like Hannah's boyfriend, Bobby Jolly had been arrested by police, but they declined to confirm whether or not it was connected with her death. So this is all kind of fresh and new. So I don't exactly know what's going on, but again, like to Chris Daughtry and his family, because, you know, I work on American Idol and he is a former uh, idol, you know, that kind of hits close to home because it's kind of like everybody there's family. And so, you know, I'm thinking about you guys and I'm so sorry. So um, anyway, this, this uh, episode comes with a warning on it. As most of them do. Because... Yeah, well, this is this actually comes with more. If you guys are uh, triggered by uh, child abuse, this might not be the one for you because it does have a couple of points where I explicitly talk about some of the abuse that the kids take. So, and it can be kind of troubling. So, if you guys step out, it won't be any better the entire series. <laughs> nothing, nothing is good about this series, but. Um, we are now going to begin our 138-part episode. <laughs> the Odyssey. <laughs> of the life and times of one Mr. Michael Joe Jackson. <laughs> A long time coming. Oh, my God. Okay, so. That was, that um, was my Michael Jackson impression. Was, that was, I thought it was good. That was actually terrible. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was terrible, and you're fired. Whip. <laughs> People named TJ are just not long for the show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I'll meet someone named like Thomas Jane. Yeah, and I'll just carry along. Hey, you want to do the podcast with me? Yeah, Thomas Jane, the actor. Oh, yes, yeah. the Punisher. Punisher from the Mist. Ah, uh, all right. So I'd like to start off with a quote, which kind of was like, "Oh, cow, really? That's that's where we're starting." Okay, so. The quote is, what can one say about Michael Jackson? He is one of the world's most acclaimed entertainers, an innovative and exciting songwriter whose dancing seems to defy gravity and has been heralded by the likes of Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. His public is perhaps unaware of the extent of his dedication to his craft. Restless, seldom satisfied, he is a perfectionist who's constantly challenging himself. To many people, Michael Jackson seems an elusive personality, but for those who work with him, he's not. The talented artist is a sensitive man, warm, funny, and full of insight. Now, you don't get to play, yeah. Will, because you're looking at it. But TJ, tell me who you think that quote might actually be by. I will mail you beer if you get this right. If you get that right, I will, <laughs> I will, beer I will mail you a 26 McKellen. Ooh. Uh, wow. Marlon Brando. You are not terribly far off. Right era, I guess. Same, same era. Yeah. It was actually by Jacqueline Lee Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Okay. Wow. Oh, she uh she edited his uh, Moonwalker book, didn't she? I believe she did, which is uh, yeah. I've got. I okay. am working, I worked off of I've got like five Michael Jackson books and Andrea, one of our um one of the first people that ever started following our podcast, and I like to count her as a friend now, sent us uh, a ton of information, which I kind of peppered in through this. So I want to thank her for 
doing some, you know, digging as well, because holy crap, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Michael Jackson had a long and storied life. What? <laughs> I'm not even no. kidding. We don't even, we don't even make it to the first album in this episode. This is his life. Well, his young life is apparently very Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, but the reason I guessed uh, Brando is because, you know, I, I know that they were friends and there's the whole, uh, I don't know if it's an urban legend or a real thing. Maybe you'll get into it in part 17 or, or <laughs> whatever about uh, the two of them and Liz Taylor driving out of New York and stopping at like every Arby's. Oh God. What? And Taco Bell. Yeah. There's a, there's a weird urban legend that, that on nine 11, Michael Jackson, Liz Taylor, and Marlon Brando were all all got in a car together and drove out of the city. But Brando insisted they stop like at every Taco Bell and Arby's. That is that is so weird. Sounds so damaging and, and seems so right at the same and time. I was I was going to say, and 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 perhaps by next July, you know, we'll get there. <laughs> and um, get there. Next and, and you and we can you can tell me whether that's real or you you'll debunk it for me i'm interested to hear yeah we'll get there don't worry so like will's story of whitney houston we're actually not going to start with michael but we're actually going to start with his parents Catherine and joe jackson because for anyone who's a fan of michael jackson you guys will understand how his parents fit into his career this goes beyond momager papager this goes deep Okay. Can you explain that term for some of our listeners? Oh, so like, new to me. like a momager. Yeah, I, I, re I remember that. So for, for you guys that don't know, like a momager is someone who is a mom and a manager. So like, you know, literally my mom was my momager. <laughs> she would do things like mail out submissions for me, get those auditions, find an agent. So like momagers are a manager slash mom and you're like honey but, boo boo right or... yeah, yeah not really <laughs> not not the same okay. thing but i mean you're on the right path with there is a mom yes. and a child in the industry but a momager is someone who manages your business affairs while also being a mother to you mm. but sometimes they momagers can take it too far and they can they can be a real pain on the butt and in, in on sets mm. so or pain in the butt on sets pain on the butt in the butt wherever just <laughs> oh, those uh, are two distinctly oh, those are two very different things <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with his mom uh Catherine John, uh, jackson was born as katie b screws on may 4th 1930 in clayton alabama the eldest of two dollars to martha nay upshaw and prince albert screws and Yes, wow. that's his actual name. No jokes. No jokes. My brother has Ring. to eventually. Ring. <laughs> yes. Hello. Have you got a Prince Albert in a can? So Jackson contracted polio. <laughs> so Jackson contracted polio at age two, which left her with a noticeable permanent limp. And in 1934, her father changed his surname to Scruce and renamed her to Catherine Esther Scruce. Like the now, thing in, um, what is the animal? It's a squirrel and a, a oh, moose. Oh, it's a Scruce. A Scruce, yeah. Yes, like that. Scruce. Okay. But, well, that's not a real animal. It's that no, was, a fictional creature. It was That was a scavenger hunt we did. The Scruce, the Scruce is loose. The Scruce is loose. Yeah, and because she had polio, she was shy and introverted, who was often made fun of by her classmates. And she was always in and out of hospitals, and she wasn't able to graduate high school 
But later on in life, she would actually take the equivalency course and she would get her diploma that way. Uh, until she was 16, she had to wear a brace or use crutches. And as of today, and yes, she is still alive, she walks with a limp. So all of her positive childhood memories were about music. She and her sister had a group listen to country Western radio programs. When she was younger, she would just, they would have like listening parties and stuff like that, you know, that someone would buy a record. Because at that point, like if you didn't have a ton of money, someone would buy a record and you'd go over to your house and listen to them. Sure. And the thing is, she actually looked up to people like Ernest Hubb and Hank Williams. Oh, wow. And as, and as a child, she aspired to become an actress or a country singer. So Michael Jackson's got some Southern roots there. Oh, yeah. Think about it, yeah. 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 But I mean, if you if you think back, we've, we've touched on this several times. A lot of those early big Opry stars were huge stars just in general, not to a country audience necessarily, because this is, you're talking about, you know, if she was born, she, what did you say, in, 19, in the 1920s or 30? She was born in 1930, May 4th, oh, wow. 1930. 1930, okay. And, so, and, and she which, was also born in Alabama, so. Right, so she lives in Alabama. There's almost no way in hell that they had a television. So hmm. what did they have? Radio. They had a radio. And, and what did everybody happened. listen to on the radio on Saturday night? What was something that could be picked up across the Southeast? Grand Old Opry. Oh. Yeah, Grand Old Opry. So that's why she dug Ernest Tubb and Hank Williams. But that wasn't uncommon because remember back to our, and gosh, this has been over a year ago, but Robert Johnson was like hugely influenced by Jimmy Rogers. Right. That was his, like his favorite artist and, and one of his biggest influences. So that was... And and then you know you really have like a, a the 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 South in general was kind of this like giant musical petri dish back then mm-hmm. that you had like country and rhythm and blues and gospel and all this stuff just kind of bouncing off one another and influencing each other and all kind of stuff. Oh yeah, and like you'd sit out on your front porch and you'd pick and you grin. That was like a thing, like yep. making music wherever music could be made back in those sure. days. I mean, and also like 1930, there was no TV. For most most Americans, I don't think they got TV until the 60s, may, like at earliest, maybe late 50s. Right. So she was kind of miffed because she did want to be a country singer, but she realized that there weren't really any Black country music singers. No one of note was the same as her. And so... You know, that that kind of put a damper on her aspirations. And uh, it, her parents actually ended up divorcing when she was still a child. But again, happy memories. She joined her high school band. And I believe she played the piano and the clarinet while she was a student at Washington High School in East Chicago, Indiana. She was also in the orchestra and her church's junior band and her school choir. So she's got music in her blood. Mm. She also, of course, sang at the local Baptist church and dreamed of a career in show business first as an actress. And then she switched it to a vocalist. Now, let's talk about Joe a little bit. Joseph Walter Jackson was born in Fountain Hill, Arkansas to Crystal Lee. Nay King and Samuel Joseph Jackson. And he was born on July the 6th, 1928. So two years before Catherine was born. His father was a teacher who apparently was very distant and very hard to reach. 
He rarely showed his family any affection. So he was misunderstood because honestly, he was he was loving to his family. He just didn't know how to show it. So people thought that he didn't have any kind of feelings, but he really did. So according to the Arkansas Black Hall of Fame and Catherine Jackson's book, My Family, which I tried to get a hold of for this, but it's out of print. It's been out of print for years. And the only copy was like $80. Interesting. And, uh, and so it was very expensive. And I just, uh, I don't have that kind of cash to burn right now. Also her book, My Family, The Jacksons, gave his birth year as 1929. So there is a discrepancy between his birth year. So he's either born in 28 or 29. He was the eldest of five children. His great-grandfather, July Jack Gale, was a U.S. Army scout. Hmm. And he was also an indigenous American medicine man. So that is history right there. That's something, yeah. Jackson recalled from his early childhood that his father was domineering and strict. And he describes himself in his memoir, The Jacksons, as a lonely child that had a, only a few friends. And his parents actually separated when he was 12. So both Catherine and Joe's parents divorced when they were kids. His mother, two brothers and sisters, moved to East Chicago, Indiana, a suburb outside of Chicago in Northwest Indiana, while his father moved all the way out to Oakland, California. When he was 18, his father remarried and moved to East Chicago to live with his mother, two brothers and sisters. Soon he got a, a job in East Chicago at Inland Steel Company, but he actually didn't finish high school. While in East Chicago, he began to pursue his dreams of becoming a boxer and actually found success with the Golden Gloves program, something that we've actually talked about before when we've talked about Chris Christopherson. Yes, I do remember that because he is a Golden, he is a golden Gloves boxer and Rhodes Scholar and expert on military intelligence and Oscar winner. And you know what? If you want to feel like you've accomplished nothing, just look at Chris Christopherson. Look at the life of Chris Christopherson and realize he did all that and wrote me and Bobby McGee. Exactly. You know, and like he was in Blade. Some people just Chris Christopherson leaves some for the rest of us. <laughs> okay. So while he was preparing for a professional boxing career, he met 17 year old Catherine at a neighborhood party. She also lived in East Chicago and attended Washington High School. Uh, Joe thought he was going to be a blues man, and she thought that she was going to be a country western star. So he played the guitar, and she played the clarinet and the piano. Uh, when they were going, when they were going out, the two of them would snuggle up. Wait, wait, hold on, wait. So are you saying that she was a little bit country? And I'm sorry, never mind. Go ahead. Wow. <clears throat> and he was a little bit rock and sock and robot. <laughs> Fired. Um, so when they were going out, the two of them would snuggle up on cold winter nights and sing Christmas carols. Sometimes they would harmonize and the blend was good thanks to Catherine's beautiful soprano voice. Apparently she was an incredible singer. So in an interview years later, Michael would actually say that he felt like he inherited his singing abilities from his mother. He recalls his earliest memories of his mom holding her in his arms and singing songs like you Are My Sunshine, and Cotton Fields. Now, there's a small hitch in the whole Catherine Joe love story. Joe was actually married to another woman. This actually parallels yeah. the, the Whitney story quite a bit here. Doesn't. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the case when, when uh, Whitney's father met her mother. He was married. 
Yeah. Uh, that generally does put a crimp in one's relationship. Yeah. 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 Getting married totally kills your dating life. God, I know. Wives are so uptight about that crap. <laughs> Seriously. So are husbands. Ugh. I'm like, honey, can I get on Tinder? And he's like, but why? And I'm like, you don't have the same meal five nights a week. Why should I? Anyway. Um, <laughs> what, the, what just happened? <laughs> uh, but he actually did get a divorce less than a year before he actually started officially dating Catherine. So shoot forward ahead. Oh, I just went through puberty. <laughs> did <laughs> it just drop? What happened? <laughs> yeah, what, that was bizarre. Oh, we're not doing the Brady Bunch. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, time to change. Yeah. So Joseph and Catherine were married on November 5th, 1949 by the Justice of the Peace in Crown Point, Indiana after a six-month engagement. And in January 1950, they purchased a small two-bedroom home at 2300 Jackson Street near East Chicago in a little town called Gary, Indiana. Based on what I know of the Jacksons, that little two-bedroom isn't going to cut it for too long, is it? Oh, no, it cuts for a very long time. Oh, does it? Oh, yikes. Yeah. All righty then. Yeah. So Catherine's actually stated that she was so affected by her parents' divorce that she wants... One, that once she found a husband, that was it. She would stay married to him no matter what circumstances came their way. It's okay. It's fine. Well, that was, uh, <clears throat> I was going to say, that was a, a credo that would be put to the test. Indeed. Well, honestly, and I do go on and tell you a little bit more about this. I think Joe only put, no, I mean, like only, a man should never put his hands on a woman nor should a woman ever do it to a man. This is, the, there is spousal abuse both ways. That should not happen. But there was one event where he did put his hands on her. And I will tell you about that. The thing was, she didn't actually have to worry about anything in the beginning because Joe treated her with so much consideration and respect. And she loved his company. He actually made her laugh like no one else ever had. So like in the beginning, it was, amazing and it seemed like there weren't any issues so their first child was born maureen rylette rebby jackson just four months after they got married so you know what i'm saying shotgun wedding uh if there wasn't an actual one there she was born on may 29th 1950 in the jackson's house uh still employed at inland steel he left his hopes of becoming a professional boxer in order to support his family and he actually became a full-time crane operator. And he later took a second part-time job at the American Foundries in East Chicago. But, and, he, but you know, he, he, he'd stay in practice, uh, you know, using his kids and stuff. Yeah, we get to that. Hold, okay. that, hold that thought. Hmm. So while he was off working, Catherine was doing the dutiful wife thing and like tending to their growing family. Now I say growing like a, you know, like, it's not just growing... It is like dandelions blowing in the wind. <laughs> During the late 1950s, she began working part-time at Sears and Gary just to like help out. And they would go on to have 10 children. Jeez. 10. I'm going to list them in a second, but there is a caveat to the 10. The Jackson baseball team. Technically, it was 11. Hey, hey, that's a football team. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So... I will say this now at the end of Joe's boxing career, he kind of picked up, he had been, you know, he had loved music all his life and he had 
a guitar. And so he would just pick that up occasionally and, and strum out a couple songs and then stick the guitar in the closet. So, so Joe would actually work at East Chicago's Inland Steel from 1950 to 1966. So he had a really long run at the steel company. I'm going to list off the kids. Most of these names are going to be very familiar to you because even if like you're a casual human on earth, <laughs> you probably know most of the Jackson kids, but there was uh, Maureen Rylette Rebby Jackson, who was born May 29th, 1950. We had Sigmund Jackie Jackson, born May 4th, 1951. You had Tito Jackson, was born October 15th, 1953. Toriano Adaro? Ter- Toriano Ardero, uh, wow. Ardero Jackson. Tito Jackson. Nice. Then you had Jermaine Lejeune Jackson, born December 11th, 1954. Then you had Latoya Yvonne Jackson, born <laughs> May 29th. A lot of Mays, a lot of Mays, uh, born May 29th, 1956. Then you had Marlon David Jackson, born March 12th, 1957. And Marlon was actually born a twin. And his twin brother was named Brandon David Jackson. And he passed away because both of them were two months early. And uh, I think that happens with a lot of twins that they're born premature. And so he actually died just a few hours after birth. Mm. Then you had Michael Joseph Jackson, born August 29th, 1958. I know that guy. Yeah. And uh, then we had Stephen Randall, Randy Jackson, born October 29th, 1961. And then you had the baby of the family, Janet Demita Joe Jackson, born May 16th, 1966. And of all of those, the only one that has passed away was actually Michael. They're all still around? Other than Brandon, yes. Wow. They're all still around. Wow. Now, I want you guys but to the, remember- But the youngest of the group is Janet, who's now 55. Yes. It's crazy. Which doesn't seem like a thing that should be real, but there it is. She's 55? And, and still could probably kick my butt. Oh, from, yeah. From here to eternity. Hey, LD, got to take a quick break here. We're just going to stop, say a few words for our sponsors, and get back to the story. And we are back. Jumping back in to the life and times of Michael Jackson. Was that dramatic enough? I think it was. Okay, good. So I just want you to remember that all 11 members of the Jackson family are living inside of this two-bedroom house. Okay, so my comment wasn't exactly correct. Yeah. It did hold up, but it that is scary. It did them all. How big were these bedrooms? Okay, well, <laughs> it wasn't the size of the bedroom. Oh, no. Um, in the book, The Magic, The Madness, the whole story, Michael was supposed to have said that you could take five steps from the front door and then you'd be out back. It was really no bigger than a garage. Wow. Catherine, okay, so here's the breakdown of the rooms. Catherine and Joseph shared one bedroom with a double bed and the boys slept in the other bedroom on a triple bunk bed. So Tito and Jermaine shared a bed on the top and Marlon and Michael in the middle and Jackie alone at the bottom. So it's like a barracks, basically. Basically, the three girls slept on a convertible sofa in the living room. And when Randy was born, he actually slept on a second couch. Holy crap. So... So if you're feeling cramped in your one bedroom, just think about the Jacksons at this time. Yeah, think about about the Jacksons in like 1966. Oh my God. So we all had chores, Jermaine remembered. 
there's always something that you had to do, scrub the floors or wash the windows or do whatever gardening there was. But he actually said that with a smile. And that is kind of cool. One of the sons would wash the dishes and Jermaine would dry them. And then uh, the four oldest kids would do the ironing and Rebby, Jackie, Tito, and Jermaine. With that amount of kids, your house would be spotless. Yeah, there'd be nothing there left to be done. Two bedrooms <laughs> and probably one one bathroom. Yeah, so someone's working all the time, basically. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't go anywhere until you were done with your chores. Uh, you mainly you mainly gonna say his parents believed in work value. This is gonna be true. Value the work ethic for Joe Jackson and Catherine Jackson was straight. Like it it did not stop. Work did not, work never stopped. Hmm. From the moment that you woke up to the moment you went to sleep, you were working at something. So this is going to be something that you see with Joe Jackson, like that that work ethic of constantly, constantly be doing something. He would work the four to midnight shift as a crane operator at the steel company. But of course, this is a sentiment I'm sure that we can all agree with, that there is just never enough money. I only have 10 kids, yeah. So he, Joe, would work a full week at the steel company and he'd come home with a $65 paycheck. Yikes. Which, if converted into today's money, is about 639, give or take a couple pennies. Still yikes. And he would put in extra work as a welder, but still the money was pretty tight. But I mean, like, you have so many kids and... The thing is, Catherine would actually make her dollar go pretty far. She'd make the kids clothes or shop at the Salvation Army. They ate simple foods that kind of sound like heaven for me, which is like bacon and eggs for breakfast, uh, bologna sandwiches, and sometimes tomato soup for lunch and fish and rice for dinner. Because, you know, like that is, you know, food that can help growing kids Man, get bigger. That's, God, feeding 10 kids on 65 bucks. I mean, I know it equates to a little bit more now, but still. But they would find themselves, you know, a little flush every now and then. So Catherine actually enjoyed baking peach cobbler and apple pies for dessert. So they would have some sweet treats, which I think is really sweet. Yep. Each one of them would get the world's tiniest slice of cobbler. Yes. Um, And during this time, I actually found it really hard to find school pictures. Because at this point, they're doing yearbook pictures. But it was really hard to find those pictures of the Jackson children because they actually couldn't afford to purchase the photos after posing for them. Oh, wow. For the first five years that they lived on Jackson Street, they didn't have a telephone. So when Jermaine contracted nephritis, a kidney disease at the age of four, he had to be hospitalized for three weeks. And that hit Catherine and Joseph very, very hard, not only financially, but emotionally as well. Whenever Joseph was laid off, he'd actually find work harvesting potatoes during those periods. So his family would just (laughs) fill up on potatoes. Potato party. Potatoes for breakfast, potatoes for lunch, potatoes for dinner, and potatoes for dessert. Yes. Um, That's, uh, I can actually, I, I can't relate, but my family on my dad's side cropped sweet potatoes. Um, they're very, very poor, lived in a small rural area, but they cropped sweet potatoes. My dad had to learn to cull potatoes when he was about three. Is that why you don't like sweet potatoes now? Well, and then, okay. So by the time he was five, he was work. He was like working in the fields 
the, as soon as you were big enough to, to hold a hoe, you were working in the fields, but he, he learned how to crop like grade A, grade B, and then the coals. But he, as an adult, would not eat sweet potatoes. And he, you know, when I asked why, he said, because, well, I ate those about three meals a day, every day, until I was 18 years old. And now I'm an adult, and I damn well don't have to eat sweet potatoes if I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and I do not, I, I, I don't know. It's just a weird coincidence. That's about the only food in the world I can't eat. But it's so weird because literally last night I had sweet potato tots. <laughs> God, they're disgusting. The smell of them <laughs> makes me want to vomit. Really? That's yeah. Crazy. That's that's crazy to me. That's because yeah, tasty. But that's uh, yeah. Okay, so he so he went from working welding and doing a steel mill to cropping potatoes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he would he would come back to the mill. Like he'd he'd end up back in the steel, the steel foundry and crane operator, right? Yeah, and and he would work on and off until 1966 when the kids take off. So he was just really unsatisfied, and he he said, and I quote, "Something inside me told me that there was more to life than this. What I really wanted more than anything was to find a way into the music business." So he and his brother and three other men formed the Falcons a rhythm and blues band that provided a little extra income for the family by performing at small clubs and bars. When? When is he doing this? I don't know. I don't know. But try as I might, I could not find any trace of any recording, so I don't actually think they ever made it into a studio. Now, if you look on YouTube, there is a band that did record a song called The Falcons, but it is I couldn't I, there was no correlation between Joe and the, that particular Falcons that I found. So if you guys happen to know, please hit us up on our socials. There will either be in the show notes or I'll give them at the end of the show. So Joseph's three older sons, Jackie, Tito, and Jermaine, were fascinated with their father's music and they would sit in on his rehearsals at home. And in the end, the Falcons were not commercially successful. So they disbanded. And Joe actually stashed his guitar in the bedroom closet. But this will not be the last time we see it foreshadowing. So we are now to the day. Michael Joseph Jackson was born on August 29th, 1958 in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, <laughs> Gary, Indiana. Okay. Uh, and to be honest, I wish I could find literally anything that happened during the age of one to five. But for some reason, every single book that I read, including Moonwalk by Michael Jackson himself and the magic, the madness, the whole story, the whole story. That's a lie. Michael Jackson by J. Randy Terabinelli skip right over most of like the quote unquote kid stuff. And just, it's like he was born and then all of a sudden he was five. I could, please tell me that there's something that exists out there between one and five. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Anyway, so I, I, I did a little bit of digging and I found a few more stories that would lead up to the Jacksons hitting a bit. So let's rock it back just a hair. When the Falcons disbanded, Joseph didn't know what to do with himself. He was working a swing shift at Inland Steel, the day shift at the American Foundries, 
And all he knew is that he wanted more for his family. That is when in the early 60s, everybody knew a singing group. That was the thing to do. You either joined a gang or you joined a singing group. And the kids wanted to be in a singing group, but they actually weren't allowed to hang out with other kids. So they started singing together in the house. Now, I said that they weren't really able to hang out with other kids because I think right now we need to talk about the big old religious elephant in the room. Catherine was a Jehovah's Witness. That's what, okay. Yeah. And she did raise her kids in that respect. So one day, and they actually did have one, they had a TV and that TV broke down and Catherine started having them sing together. And what would happen was their father would go to work and they would sneak into the bedroom and get the guitar down. Tito would play it, although I can never find out who taught him how to play. It would be- I would assume Joe, I mean. I think a lot, like I legitimately think that these kids have some sort of special genetics in them and I'm, I'm, it's it's got to be like the jackson gene because they they'll watch something and then be able to replicate it and we're actually going to talk specifically about michael and another artist and how he picked up on something but i gen- i genuinely think that the jacksons had something else that these kids could just watch somebody and absorb the information hmm. so it would be me Jackie and Jermaine, Tito said, and we would sing, learn new songs, and I would play. One day, Catherine walked in and literally everybody froze, deer in headlights, freaking out. Because remember, Joe is at this point not like the nicest guy in the world. We'll get into that. But like they were scared of their father finding out that they had been pulling the, the guitar down and playing it. Oh, wow. So they were afraid. And so when their mom walked in, they're like, oh, crap. But she didn't say anything. She just let them play. And she said, I didn't want to stop it because I saw a lot of talent there. So this went on for a couple months until tragedy. Tito broke a string on the guitar. And he knew, yeah, he knew he was in trouble. And he knew that they would actually all be in trouble. Joe was so strict and everybody was so scared of him. So he put the guitar in the back of the closet, hoping that, his dad would never find out and he could avoid being spanked. I think the word he actually used was whooped, which, mm-hmm. which whooped and picking out your own switch <laughs> were maybe the worst things that you ever heard as a Southern child. Psychological yes. torture at its best. Yes. Yeah. I was say, whooped, whooped is a, is a, is you're on a whole different level than spanking. And even though Catherine actually stuck her neck out and said that she had lied and gave them permission He was still severely punished, but he cooled off and he came into the room and Tito was still crying. And he said, you know, I can play that thing. I really can. Uh, Joe looked at him and said, okay, let's see what you can do, smart guy. So he played it and Jermaine and Jackie sang a little and Joe was a different person. He had no idea because it was this big secret that they had been keeping from him because they were so scared of him. So Joe would later say in an interview that when his son revealed their talent to him, the surge of excitement ran through his body. You know why? Why? Because he saw a way to get out of Gary, Indiana and get 
to be a big deal in Hollywood town. Hollywood town, by the way, was a, a hit in the 1970s for Manfred Mann's <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Out from the left field. Ladies um, and gentlemen. Our Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. Oh, yeah. Satisfied. <laughs> so he decided he was going to leave his music. He was going to leave music to his sons. And this is very Joe. I have a dream for them, he said. I envision these kids making audiences happy by sharing their talent. Talents that maybe they inherited from me. I'm sorry. I hate to editorialize, but <laughs> cheese and crackers, dude. I, it's a 50-50 shot, okay? Mom or dad, what you getting it from? And uh, yeah, you're a, special, you're a special kind of person. <laughs> and you know what? I know we're probably going to get hate mail from one side or the other. And that's why I haven't like tipped my hand about whether or not I'm actually a fan of Michael Jackson's. We will get to that. But again, calm down, children. <laughs> it's just my opinion. And if you have your own opinion, please email us. I'm not going to answer it because one of the boys are because they are much more thick skinned when it comes to this stuff. I enjoy hate mail. <laughs> send it to TJ. He will love I used it. to, for real, people used to would send me letters and tell me that I sucked and that they hated me and um, all that kind of stuff. I would hang them up on a bulletin board in my office. You should make a coffee table book. You should. Yeah, I, kept, I, I kept them. Or a coffee table. Just make a coffee table out <laughs> of hay letters. Guys. Yes, just print I, it out. My, my favorite one ever was an old, some old woman who said that, um, well, my favorite one ever was a preacher who said that I was either Satan incarnate or one of his minions. That's actually <laughs> my favorite one ever, especially since that preacher's in jail now for trying to kill somebody. Um, <laughs> like, like, like I'm, I'm not joking. That's a real thing that happened. Oh, my God. That's actually my favorite ever now that I think about it. Nice. But, but yeah, if you think, well, if, you, if you have hate mail, just send it to uh, address to uh, TJ too. Yeah, there you go. That Put that in the, uh, put that as the header, like your subject line, hate mail. TJ too. <laughs> TJ too. Please read. And he'll answer it. Um, so he said that I, I just wanted them to make something of themselves. That's all I wanted. He added, mm. Joseph went off to work next day, went off to Joseph, went off to work next day. And that night he returned holding something behind his back, called out to Tito and handed him the package. It was a red electric guitar. Mm. Now let's rehearse with the boys. He said with a smile. So Jackie, age nine, Tito seven and the remaining six gathered and they practiced. We have never been so close. It was like we finally found something in common. And Marlon and Mike would sit in the corner and they would watch their mom give them tips. And she, they would notice that their mom and their dad were actually happy, like really, really happy. They had found something special. And like, that is, that's awesome. Like if the, you know, if the origin story is like, you know, you see talent in your kids and you nurture that and they make it, big like that's an awesome story it's just it's sad that they do have to suffer a lot of abuse to get there mm -hmm. so where's michael in all this he's not even five yet not even five crazy what so catherine being a strong force and lets her kids she passed on that deep 
abiding respect for certain religious convictions. And she had initially been Baptist and Lutheran, but turned from both faiths for the same reason, almost like what you just said, except for it was extramarital affairs and not attempting to kill someone. Hmm. So when Michael was five, she actually converted to Jehovah's Witness. Someone came to her door and did a successful conversion of her. She was baptized in 1963 at the swimming pool at Roosevelt High in Gary. Wait, so, so she not so she not only bought the Watchtower for a quarter, but she read it. She read it and then started proselytizing, 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 proselytizing going door to door. Yeah, that proselytizing, I believe. There you go. Yeah. So uh, from then on, she asked the rest of the family to get dressed in their best clothing every Sunday and walk with her to Kingdom Hall, which was the place of worship. Now, it should be noted that Joe would accompany her a little while, but eventually stopped going. But as time went on, the ones that actually became really devout with their religion was Michael, Latoya, and Rebbe. Just to give you guys a little bit of background about Jehovah's Witnesses, and please understand, I'm not bashing any religion, but if he had not been raised Jehovah's Witness, a lot of people speculated that he might have turned out a little bit different. Um, but no matter where they lived, no Jehovah's Witnesses will salute a flag, serve in the armed forces, they don't celebrate Christmas, Easter, or birthdays, and they usually will not contribute to any money outside of their own church. Consider preaching the gospel the most worthwhile charity deed. Well, when you have 10 kids, you have a way out to celebrate birthdays financially. Exactly. Uh, Jehovah's Witness looks pretty good at that point. Oh, what yeah. faith can we join? <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of people actually consider the Jehovah's Witnesses a cult, and that was especially true in the 50s and 60s. So there was that stigma back then. And really big controversial thing that the Jehovah's Witnesses will do, no matter how important it is or no matter how, how grave the situation is, they will not receive a blood transfusion for themselves or their children, even if it will save their lives. So uh, if you're actually really interested in finding out more about the Jehovah's Witnesses, there is a great episode. It's like a three-hour episode. It is what we listened to. We drove to Atlanta? We, yeah. No, from Atlanta. For, I'm leaving Atlanta. We yeah. left Atlanta, and we listened just to this one podcast on Jehovah's Witnesses cause, uh, called Time Suck with Dan Cummins, and he, he lays it all out. So if you're interested, check out Time Suck. I do love that podcast. But this is not that podcast. So that's just a little bit of the religious foundation for Michael. And that's all I'm going to give you guys about that. So uh, let's talk about the boys. So for every single day, they would practice for at least three hours, whether they wanted to or not. When I found out that my kids were really, really interested in becoming entertainers, I really wanted to work with them, Joe said in an interview with Time Magazine. The other kids would be out in the street playing games and my boys were in the house working learning how to be something, how to do something with their lives. Now, even though music was bringing the family closer together, it actually alienated them from their neighbors. So people around them already thought they were strange because of their religion. And then once they started on that musical path, that pretty much solidified it for everyone. It actually made them a target. People would say, yeah, look at those Jacksons. They think there's something special. And everyone used to hang out. Uh, you know, they, they would like, hang out on the street corners and pair up in groups, but members of the Jackson family weren't allowed to, and they had to practice at home. So the other kids thought that they were too good to sing on the corner. And they would rehearse twice a day, 
once before school, once after. And a lot of people in the neighborhood actually thought they were wasting their time. <laughs> oh, oh, kiddo. Yeah. Oh, those Jacksons. Oh, those Jacksons. They're never going to amount to anything. Dumber words were never spoken. <laughs> um, and it would actually go so far as people would hurl rocks into their living room. That seems like a bit much. Yeah. And it didn't matter. The Jacksons just ignored the taunts, <laughs> focused on their practice sessions. And that's the thing is like, yeah, say what you want about that. But like, look at when they started and how hard they worked at it and how much success it got them. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I got nothing but good things to say about their work ethic because like they're nine. The oldest is nine crazy, yeah. and they're working their butts off. In 1962, Marlon had joined the group playing bongos and singing, mostly (laughs) off-key. Marlon couldn't actually sing or dance at the time because he was kind of forced into the group because Catherine would not have it any other way. (laughs) One day, all the boys were practicing, and Joseph was, you know, coming in from work. And Catherine was watching Michael, who is four at this time, age four, beginning to imitate Jermaine as he sang James Brown song. When Michael would sing, his voice was so strong and so pure that Catherine was surprised. Four years old. Four. Four. What were you doing at four, Travis, other than pooping yourself? Uh, Just that. And yeah, eating crayons. That was all my time right there. Yeah. But that was, I mean, pooping yourself and eating crayons is a pretty full-time job. You I know? Heard, I mean, yeah. It's hard. It is hard. So when Joseph got home that night, she met him at the door with some good news. And she said, I think we have another lead singer. I want to read you a little excerpt from the book Moonwalk, which is Michael Jackson's autobiography. As I begin to tell my story, I want to repeat that I usually say to people when they ask me about my earliest days with the Jackson 5, that I was so little when we began to play our music that I don't remember much about it. Most people have luxury of careers that start when you're old enough to know exactly what you're doing and why. But of course, for me, that wasn't true. They remember everything that happened to them, but I was only five. When you're a show business child, you really don't have the understanding or have the maturity to know what's going around. People make a lot of decisions concerning your life when you're out of the room. So here's what I remember. I remember singing at the top of my voice and dancing with real joy and working hard for a child. Of course, there are many details that I don't remember at all. I do remember the Jackson 5 starting to take off when I was only eight, but we'll get back to that. This is kind of the point where I just want to give you guys a trigger warning about abuse. Mm -hmm. I'm sure even if you're a casual fan of Michael Jackson, you probably know that that all the kids were not only really scared of Joseph, but would try to avoid him when possible. No one really engaged with him because they were all so scared of him. Wow. And to be honest, Michael was the only one who would confront Joe. He was the only one that would like try to hit back. So if, uh, if you guys are triggered by abuse, this is, this is one of those stories. Joseph believed in the value and impact of beating his kids as a disciplinary tool. He would be quoted as saying, you're either a winner at life or a loser, and none of my kids are going to be losers. 
he would smack his kids without giving a second thought shoving them into walls was like normal behavior for him and most of his ire was on the boys but it's really interesting because of all the boys michael like i said was the only one in the family who would ever fight back once when he was three joseph spanked him for something that he had done and crying michael took one of his shoes off and hurled it at his dad the shoe missed him but michael had basically signed his death warrant mm. joseph grabbed michael and according to marlin held him upside down by one leg and pummeled him over and over again with his hand hitting him on his back and buttocks incredibly hard and michael started screaming so loudly that it seemed like he was trying to summon the entire neighborhood Catherine screamed to put him down and when he did michael took off running and screamed that he hated his father hearing that joseph followed michael into the bedroom and slammed the door and let him have it joseph also would lock michael in a closet for hours and that was traumatizing and horrible for any kid like isolation like locking your kid in any place has to be traumatizing but think about like a small dark closet well that's very interesting because there are accounts that come out even in the whitney story where michael jackson would go into places like that and have nervous breakdowns later in life well she found him at that party and they went yeah he would not come out yeah Yeah. but that's not the only account from what i understand that happened a lot to adult michael jackson so i can only imagine now that i'm seeing this connection it's 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 quite something yeah and the the abuse would cause a lot of problems with the family i mean shocking and i'm not i'm not laughing at abuse i'm laughing because this is so horrific catherine didn't know how to reconcile herself to her husband's treatment of the children and she didn't understand how a man who could nurture an artistic talent and the man that she fell in love with the one that would cuddle up with her and sing carols could be the same person who could target their children so violently wow so um it seemed like i could only find one point this is the the one incident where catherine something happened with catherine that uh that i guess early on she had also been a target for joseph's abuse she recounted one instance where he smacked her across the face and she actually threw a bottle at him and sliced his arm open and she told him that if he ever laid a hand on her again she would leave him so fast it would make his head spin so it looked like at that point he actually turned his anger from Catherine to the kids and that was like the catalyst um I think now is a good time to tell you guys like I keep quoting these two different books and I kept going back and forth between Moonwalker which was Michael Jackson's autobiography and another one called The Madness, The Music, The Whole Story. And those were the two main books. Later on in life, I will bring in another three books, but uh, I just wanted to kind of at this point tell you guys, if you're wondering where I'm getting my information, those are the two places. Mm. This by far for me was one of the, the most, the stories that kind of shook me to my core. Michael once recounted that when he was five, he walked into the room and he got the air knocked out of him when his father tripped and he landed on the floor. Joe looked at him and said, that's for what you did yesterday. Into tomorrow, I'm going to get you for what you did today. Through his tears, Michael said that he hadn't even done anything. And Joe retorted, oh, you will, boy, you will. 
So from that point on, anytime Michael walked into a room, he would look left and then he would look right like he was crossing the street. He was trying to avoid his father. And he said, I began to be so scared of that man. In fact, I think it's safe to say that I hated him. Yeah, that's that's great for somebody's mental health. Yeah, Just to be always scared of your father. To be afraid to walk into rooms, to have panic attacks because you were locked in closets and to be beaten upside down when you're three that's that's a that's a healthy that's a healthy household yeah and i mean i don't think i'm alone very very nurturing environment there yeah it's it's almost like it's dr jekyll and mr hyde because he does have this this thing that he wants to nurture with his kids like they're already tight on money but he bought tito a guitar sure i mean he's an abusive prick but he's not without his charms yeah, I mean, I guess that's the best way to say it. But, I mean, Jesus, I, can we not have the abusive asshole part? Yeah, um, why, don't you just, why don't you just buy Tito the guitar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about, yeah. how about this one? It wasn't physical abuse that, they, that Joseph would just do for the kids. Uh, apparently, he would get upset that the kids would leave their windows open in their bedroom. So he would actually sneak through the windows wearing a super scary mask and then stand over the boy's bed and then just start screaming at them. Good Lord. Joe explained that he was trying to demonstrate why they should not leave their windows open at night because what would happen if a burglar was to get into the house? There's gotta be a better way to do that. Oh yeah, for years and years after this event, both Marlon and Michael would have vivid nightmares about being kidnapped. So it's like, no wonder that as he grew up, Michael would pull away from Joseph. Now I want to jump forward in time because in the book Moonwalk, Michael does talk about his relationship with his father. And he says that his father did want to protect them, which was no small feat. In Michael's words, he said he always tried to make sure that people didn't cheat us. He looked after our interests in the best way. He might have made a few mistakes along the way, but he always thought that he was doing right by his family. And of course, most of my father's help was to help us accomplish a unique and wonderful relationship with with companies and people in the business. I'd say that we were among the fortunate few artists who walked away from a childhood in the business without, with anything substantial, money, real estate, and other investments. My father said, my father set all of these up for us. He looked out for both of our interests and him. And to this day, I'm thankful that he did not try to take all of our money for himself and the way that so many parents of child stars have. Gary Coleman. Yeah. Yep. Well, Jackie Coogan was like the first one. Like that's even what the account is named for. So if you, for those that are not in the industry at all, there's a thing called the Coogan account. And the Coogan account is when you have a minor and if a child works a job, the money actually goes into the account and the parents only have access to a certain amount of it. And that way you can be assured that the parents aren't wasting the kids money. And it's a, it's a good way just to make sure that the kid has something set up for them in the future. Now, I mentioned stealing from your own children. My father never did anything like that, but I still don't know him. And that's really sad for some who hungers to understand his own father. He is a mystery man to me, and he will always be one. In 1963, at the age of five, Michael started attending the Garnett Elementary School. One of Michael's first memories of performing was at age five. So here we are at age five. We had like three things happen 
at age three and four. And both of them, I think, were he was getting whoopings. So he sang Climb Every Mountain from the Sound of Music <laughs> a cappella for his class. Which you have done. Which I have done. <laughs> of course, I was not five and I was pretty drunk. <laughs> That's probably one of the last times I actually got drunk. Yes, I Calvin Michael Jackson. There you go. Ooh. Well, his was probably better than mine. It probably was, yes. <laughs> the other the other children were super impressed, not only for the talent that he exuded, but his self-confidence. He received a standing ovation. That's cool. Catherine attended the performance with Joseph's father, Samuel, and even he was moved to tears by Michael's performance. Catherine would later say, he was just so good, so young, so some kids are special. Michael was special. Even at the age of five, Michael had so much charisma and energy that Jackie decided that Michael would have to be the lead guy when it came to the family group. And that was perfectly fine with Michael. He actually loved being the center of attention. But that actually hurt Jermaine's feelings. Because remember, Jermaine is the lead guy. Mm -hmm. He's the one that, that was leading the band beforehand. And all of a sudden, he felt like he wasn't good enough and some people theorized that he started to stutter at that point because his confidence was so low that something like clicked in him and he began to stutter. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's just a theory. I, I don't know. I didn't even know up until the point where I was reading the book that he had a stutter. But at some point, they finally decided, okay, we can't just practice at home. We actually got to get out there. So they entered a talent contest. Hmm. And everybody in the neighborhood wanted to be in this contest. They wanted to take home the trophy. And Michael was about six, but he had figured out then that you had to put everything into your performance to win. You had to earn it, Michael recalls. We did this talent contest at Roosevelt High School in Gary, and we sang The Temptations, My Girl, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm -hmm. And they won first prize. The boys also performed the song Barefootin', and during a musical break in the middle of the song, Michael kicked his shoes off and started doing a little barefoot dance all over the stage. And people ate it up because, mm-hmm. of course, they did because he's this cute little five-year-old boy and he's singing and dancing. And he just, oh, he's so cute. Ah. Anyway, <clears throat> so it was kind of like a picture montage in a movie of just them entering contest <laughs> after contest after contest oh, and like winning and winning. And the prizes are bigger and the trophies are bigger. And they would go as far as like Chicago to compete in talent contests. So in 1965, Joseph was only making about $8,000 a year full-time at the mill. And so Catherine went to work part-time at Sears as a saleswoman. And a big point of contention with the family was that Joseph wanted to start spending money on the group, which meant musical equipment amplifiers, microphones, other instruments, and Catherine became really concerned. She was afraid that the kids were getting over their heads, and that led to a lot of disagreements. Um, The group played their first legitimate performance at the Gary nightclub called Mr. Lucky's and made (laughs) $7 for that engagement. Woot. Yep, so the boys began to play in other clubs and the patrons would actually throw coins and dollar bills onto the stage. And Michael told his biographer that his pockets would be busting with money, huh. like to the point where his, his uh, pants wouldn't hold up. So he'd have to like duck walk after his stuff. 
So, um, and here's the thing, he had priorities. Uh, he would go buy candy. So speaking of candy, again, I wanted to talk about Andrea. She is awesome. And she sent me a bunch of details on Michael. She, she sent me a story about how the kids would save up their pennies so that they could go purchase bubble gum at a concession stand at a little league ballpark behind their house one night. And Michael couldn't find his penny for his gum. And so he was so upset that he ran to his mom and he was like, mom, what happened to my penny? And she kind of scanned the area and spotted Marlon hmm. just with the biggest wad of gum in his mouth. And that's why I'm glad that I'm an only child. What? so from time to time some kids in the neighborhood would actually join the band in about 1966 around that time uh johnny porter jackson no relation was added as the group's permanent drummer johnny's family was friendly with the jacksons who in the end would actually consider him a cousin Ronnie Ransford, a keyboardist, was also added to the band. The boys would play clubs in Gary and as far away as Chicago, and that's why I mentioned they were doing like the talent shows mm-hmm. in Chicago earlier. Michael, at this point, was eight years old and singing lead. Tito was on guitar, Jermaine was on bass, and Jackie played the shakers with Johnny on drums. Uh, Marlon would harmonize and dance, though he wasn't very good, but here's the thing about Marlon. We make fun of him like at this point, but the fact is, he worked on it. He persisted. He worked his butt off. He would practice even when, even when practice was done, he would actually really work on his dance moves to the point where he eventually could rival Michael in his dance moves. So again, kids stay in school. And and the thing is, Catherine was thrilled about her son's growing success, but she was really uneasy with the idea that a shift had been made from them doing music just for fun and something that they could do as a family to something that they relied on for money and that they were now looking at it as a business. Because she was a Jehovah's Witness, she valued good works over money. So of course she was concerned about how excited the kids would be when they would come home from a concert with their pockets just full of money. And she would tell them to remember that that's not the important thing. It was really about the love of doing it. The name that the band was actually going under was either the Jackson or the Jackson Brothers. So they were in a shopping mall one day in Gary, Indiana, where Joseph was talking to a model named Evelyn Leahy. And she said the Jackson Brothers sounded super old fashioned, kind of like the Mill Brothers. And so she suggested, hey, why don't you just call them the Jackson Five? Hmm. And according to Joe, that sounded like a perfectly fine name. And so from then on, they were known as the Jackson Five which is weird because there's like seven members. Yeah, it's kind of like Ben Folds five. Is it there's good? only three of them. There's only- <laughs> so it wasn't long before they found themselves doing more club dates out of town and over the weekends. So they hit what was called the Chitlin Circuit. And now we've talked about this before, but if you don't know, the Chitlin Circuit was a collection of performance venues throughout the Eastern, Southern, and Upper Midwest areas of the United States, which provided commercial and cultural acceptance for African-American musicians, comedians, and other entertainers during the era of of racial segregation through the 1960s. Which we did an episode on, the Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Yeah. The Chitlin Circuit was considered to be by, for, and about Black people. There is a debate 
as to when the chitlin circuit peaked. Some say it was in the 30s. Some say it was after World War II. And then others say it's time for the blues. But they would do 2,000-seat theaters downtown in the inner city areas like Cleveland, Baltimore, and D.C. And there were always other acts on the bill. And sometimes those people were super established artists like the Four Tops. But a lot of times it would be unknowns. And because of that, Michael was always learning. They said that if you couldn't find him in one place, you the one place that you would need to look would be in the wings because he would be watching performers and basically stealing their dance moves. <laughs> he was like eight and <laughs> and he would just be like, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to take that dance move and that dance move and put them together and ta-da. But see, the thing is, Diana Ross actually did the same thing uh, before she was famous and she stole everybody on the Motown Review. So like, it was a thing. Uh, James Brown taught me a few things that he does on stage. Michael remembered back in 1970. Like, this is a huge time for James Brown. Yeah, he was big at this point, wasn't he? He was huge at this point. He was like, yeah, I learned this from James Brown. Mm -hmm. He taught me how to drop the mic and then catch it before it hits the stage floor. Took me about took me about 30 minutes to learn. It looked hard, but it was pretty easy. Now all I wanted is a pair of patent leather shoes like James Brown, but they don't make them in kid sizes. Yeah, out of base. Uh, he was learning from one of the most masterful onstage showmen in the history of music. So. Yeah. so the Jacksons won the amateur talent show at the Regal Theater which was a theater in Chicago, three consecutive weeks, which is a major thing for the family. The Jackson boys were becoming more experienced and more polished, and Michael was poised and professional, and he's still not even 10 yet. I, we haven't even gotten into double digits of his age yet. They played St. Louis and Kansas City, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. Not only that, they opened up for the Temptations, the Emotions, the OJs, and Jackie Wilson, Sam and Dave, Bobby Taylor, the Vancouver's, holy cow, eventually they'll, they'll open up for somebody uh, important, uh, right? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> but they also formed friendships with those artists and learned firsthand from them what to expect from the entertainment world. So, I mean, they're learning from the best. And before one talent show, a performer remarked to another that they had better watch out for the Jackson 5 because they had a midget they were using as their lead singer. <laughs> Jackie overheard that and could not stop laughing. Michael heard about it and he was really, really hurt. He said, I can't help it if I'm the smallest. Joseph pulled his young son aside and said, listen here, Michael, kneeling down to eye level with him. You need to be proud that you're being talked about by the competition, he said in a gentle tone. That means you're on the way. That's a good thing. Well, I don't like it, Michael said. They're talking bad about me. Joseph kissed his son on the top of his head, a rare moment of gentleness from him. He said, it's only the beginning, Mike. He smiled. So get used to it. Hmm. And so, yes, this is the beginning, kids. The beginning of a 428-episode uh, count for Michael Jackson. So if you guys didn't notice, I actually didn't put any music in this episode at all. And the reason for that is, unlike Whitney, there wasn't anything beforehand. There aren't any real recordings because we actually haven't gotten to the point where the Jackson 5 go into the studio. And Joseph never made it into the studio with the Falcons. Catherine never went into the studio because she had no reason to. You know, she, she had a beautiful voice, but she wasn't pursuing a career in music. So um, I'm actually going to play 
a demo recording, which I will reference next week, but this is how we're going to close the show today. And uh, I'm not like these two jerks who's like, hey, guys, uh, make a list of your 412 favorite Michael Jackson songs and please rank them and write an essay about each song. I was going to ask you guys, what's your first memory of Michael Jackson? Like as a kid growing up, because he's been in our lives, our whole lives. So uh, Will Lohrell, why don't you start? What was, uh, your, what was your first real Michael Jackson memory? Well, there are two that spring to mind because of where I grew up. One of the children who had spent a lot of time with Michael went to my school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that comes up later, I know, and, and we're going to get there. Um, but there was, needless to say, legal proceedings and whatnot. Mm, yeah. But uh, my neighborhood was actually had a number of people who knew Michael Jackson personally. Uh, one was my friend Adam. And I remember being in his basement and the two of us were dancing to the way you make me feel. That's that's what comes up to me when okay. I when I think of Michael Jackson. All right. T, what about you? Um it would either have been my I mean very, very first memory would have been hearing like don't stop do you get enough maybe or something off off the wall okay or or perhaps seeing him in the whiz oh yeah okay it would have been one I'm, I'm i'm confident it would have been one of those two things i'm going to say that my fr- like i know he is always permeated in my memory so i you know driving around mom's station wagon i probably heard things like blame it on the boogie and mm-hmm want you back and rock and robin and all those songs but my first real like bust through moment that didn't have anything to do with like watching one of his music video premieres because that was like an event and we will talk about that not even next episode because we don't get to adult michael for about four (laughs) episodes um but uh my first real memory is for my birthday mom got me of 45 of man in the mirror and she bought me my first record player and tj i don't know if you remember what happened afterward uh you played it until you broke it (laughs) as i recall i think she got it from the radio station oh really i I think so but yes you played it over and over and over that was my jam (laughs) that that was my jam um it I, I must have listened to that thing easily a thousand times in two days and I knew every single word every single word and I'm trying to find like the exact date of when it came out Mary Man in the Mirror 88 January 9th 1988 okay so, so I was seven when it came out about the same age that Michael uh started really kind of taking off but I remember getting that and it was the best birthday present I think I ever got. Um, it was just that 145 and mom got me that record player. And I, I, I swear to God, I listened to it until it broke. And that was honestly my first real moment with Michael Jackson. I do believe that I thought I was going to marry Michael Jackson when I was growing up, but I also think that I was going to marry red from rainbow bright. So I had a skewed view of who you can marry. <laughs> Clearly. Didn't really understand how relationships worked when I was seven. So 
Yeah, Michael Jackson, Red, a Smurf. Um, <laughs> yeah, all kind of stuff. Bugs Bunny, Ray Stevens, no. Ray Stevens, Billy Ray Cyrus. Bill, oh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus, Jeez. my sexual awakening. Wow. <laughs> oh, the, must have been the mullet. She was. She was all about. She was all about that uh, Kentucky waterfall. Just blame it on the mullet. <laughs> hello, hello, mullet. I just bought it a brand new pair of cowboy boots. Thank you, Billy Ray. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, for those who don't know, because I'm, I'm trying to actually find it because we got new phones and I don't know if it transferred over, which makes me really sad. But uh, two weeks ago, me and my friend Carrie got into my car, pointed that vehicle northeast to a little town near a place called Solvain. Mm -hmm. And we literally drove there to stand in front of a gate. Me and my friend Carrie took our happy little rear ends two and a half hours north so that we could literally look at Neverland Ranch. So when we were in that little town, I actually got Will what he's drinking. So I would like for you now to tell the folks at home what you were drinking. This is from Los Olivos, Olivos, California. This is the Figueroa Mountain Mosaic Pale Ale. Excellent. And how is it? It's quite good. If you like pale ales, it's very kind of, kind of a rye taste. It's very dry and crisp. And that's a very good thing in a pale ale, in my opinion. Excellent. And um, good, good, good. I'm glad you like it. It's good. I'm yeah. glad you like it. So I have literally been living with Michael Jackson for about six weeks now. Just a note about this series. I'm going to be doing a pretty linear timeline on everything. However, what's going to happen is I'm actually going to skip over all of his controversy during those time periods and then put all of that in one episode. It's going to be a big episode. It is going to be a very big episode. And I'll also have commentary on things like leaving Neverland and other allegations and stuff like that. So I didn't want to alienate any of our audience if they wanted to hear the story about Michael Jackson, but I didn't want to not include everything. Cause remember guys, we are a warts and all podcast. This isn't like a hero worship, sparkly, shiny podcast. This is a, we're going to tell this whole story. So um, speaking of telling the whole story, you guys also on Facebook, it's, right it's now, our, it's, you know, We've, we've thought about this for a long time, and I think we're comfortable telling everybody this now. We've actually come out with like a slug line, a credo, kind of our, our catchphrase. Rock and roll heaven, gritty realism with dick jokes. <laughs> I think, I don't actually think you ever said that out loud until right now. So, but it works. But sure, why not? Um, <laughs> um, and just a heads up, guys, uh, on our Facebook right now, is the not only the list that we compiled so far for our draft but it is an opportunity for you guys to participate in the draft and i think can i tell them now can i tell them now is it okay i'm gonna say yes it's okay okay along with our draft picks and i'm very excited about this we are going to be doing a series called the redemption series so during the draft, which will take place next month, each of us will pick four artists and there will be one redemption episode 
So what we're going to be doing is reaching back into the vaults when either, you know, we didn't have the resources to do all the research. Uh, we didn't have the reach to be able to talk to certain people who actually knew artists. Um, or we, even we had a time limit because when we started, we could only do an hour episode. Sorry, so, yeah. so we were really like, you know, just a, a dry bones podcast beforehand. Now we can actually have this opportunity to do stuff like that. It's so three hour slap nuts episodes. Yeah. So we'll be doing one redemption. And then here's the fun thing, guys. We are trying to figure out the logistics of it, but we're going to pick three people from our pool of people that follow us on Facebook, basically at random. So next week we will give your names and those people will pick out one artist and one host. Hmm. So three people at random from the draft post will get to choose one host and one artist, and we will cover them on the podcast. So like the three of them will pick one or each one of them will pick one. Each one of them will pick one. So we might say, that's not going to be any good. (laughs) Why is that? Why is that? That sounds like a bad idea. (laughs) Well, like Tom Jones will say, Hey, I want to pick LD to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then not that we don't, not that I don't love and trust the listeners. It's just, uh, it's like, well, we're going to pick four and then do a redemption and then we get to pick one. So we're all, (laughs) we're all doing like 30 episodes. We're going to do like 30 episodes a piece. Yeah. Which which none of which will start until April at the pace we're going now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like July of 2022, this will get underway. Yeah. 20 July. This is more like December of next year. We're fine. We've got plenty to talk about, guys. So, so yeah, basically, uh, we will be picking three people at random from uh, the draft post to um, basically pick a host, pick a subject, and we will do that. So, and just understand, like, you know, again, some episodes might be really short. Some episodes might be really long. Some of them might be Michael Jackson length. So, we got, we're busy. We're going to be busy, busy bees, busy little bees. So right now, I'm going to give out our socials. So if you would like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT, our Instagram rock and roll heaven LT, our Facebook rock and roll heaven pod, still not saying our website. And you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And just remember, if it's hate mail, just make sure that you put it attention TJ too. Um, and can't you can, wait to read it. <laughs> you, can, you can check out all of our other awesome Pantheon Podcast at pantheonpodcast.com. And uh, so from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, all of you guys out there, just remember the light of the tunnel might be something on fire. Would you like to say something to our audience, TJ? Bye, buddy. All right, Mr. William Hickey. Oh, well, I will say thank you for joining us on this ride. We got more Michael Jackson coming up and- uh, So much more Michael Jackson. So much more Michael Jackson. So, so much more. So uh, like I said, I didn't put a whole lot, well, I didn't put any music in this episode, but what I'm actually going to play for you is a demo recording of a song that they did called Big Boy. So you guys have a great night. We will see you next week. Love you all. Hey, bye.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.